We live in the world, which is headed and run by the prince of the power of the air. But we live by the Spirit, discerning the times. For he who is spiritual discerns all things. Sharpen your discernment. Build your faith. Listen to the Word and World Team. Minister the Word of God through conversational theology, piercing the darkness of this present evil age. Hello darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping. And the vision that was planted in my brain still remains within the sound of silence. Well, welcome back. This is Hampton Keithley with Bob Brandon. And uh, we're doing Politics Friday. I think it's episode 39. And I'm actually here with Bob Brandon in his house in Colorado. <laughs> In a cozy bedroom, no less. Yes, we had to find a place where it was quiet. Staring at a nice stone fireplace and a bookshelf. And our windows are open to the bright sun. It's going to be a great day in Colorado. Yeah, what is it? Was it 48? <coughs> 48 this morning? 48 this morning. A little different than your home in Texas. <laughs> so I had my windows open. So it'll be a great day. Here's how I'd like to start out this. I think we can finish. The, yeah, this is this is our final one on the French Revolution. Yeah, the truth about the French Revolution. There we go. So here's how I wanted to begin this morning. This is Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure to be disturbed either by a spirit or message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember <clears throat> that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he will be revealed for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. 
For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So if I had one word to summarize that passage, I would say sobering. That's the ultimate sobering passage. So appropriate for our topic today. You know the people in in France thought the end times were here. But while that's going on, we've got good things happening in America. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) So that wasn't worldwide, but... Correct. Correct. So, you know, the... The emphasis there is as we began our little our little study on the French Revolution, uh, we, we brought up this passage and we talked about the restraint. Right. And as evil as things get, you know, in our world around us, he's still restraining that. God is. Right. But when he quits restraining evil, oh my gosh, you can scarcely imagine. You get little glimpses, like little like glimpses. in the French Revolution, of what it will be like. That's right. That's part of why we're looking into that. So, uh, let's get to it. Let's cover our last cha- our last chapter from the author we're reading from is Anne Coulter. We set up on our our first French Revolution podcast the sources she's using, and so on, and compared her, you know in a way, to the writer of Chronicles, right? When they review swaths of history, you have to have a lens to do that. It, it serves no purpose to just recount every little thing that happened. What you're trying to do is go over the history and point out the significance of that. So <clears throat> in Chronicles, the significance is the Davidic covenant, and things like that. So to Ann Coulter, the significance is the unreasonableness and the violence of the mob, right? When when evil is unrestrained and you see what happens. So <clears throat> she calls this chapter the French Revolution part de. <laughs> part de. <laughs> who, who knows how to pronounce D-E-U-X. Um, but we had promised we, we would next time dip into the reign of terror. Right. It was already pretty terrible, but it's going to get worse? Yes. And so that's where we're going to begin. By June of 1793, the radical Jacobins had seized total control of the convention and begun instituting left-wing government policies, such as price controls and a general draft. Yet another constitution was adopted by the convention and then immediately suspended by the convention. Instead, a revolutionary government was decreed until the peace. Robespierre dominated the tyrannical and ironically named Committee of Public Safety. You know, we've said this a number of times, right? You can't make this stuff up. That is what they called it. Well, and and so it wasn't George Orwell <laughs> who started that doublespeak or whatever. Right. And so, thus began the reign of terror, purging all enemies of the revolution. The enforcers, 
Robespierre and his allies demanded death to traitors, spies, moderates, and anyone who disagreed with Robespierre, St. Just, can't make that name up, Robespierre's ally on the Committee of Public Safety called for unlimited war, saying the Republic owes the good citizens its protection. To the bad ones, it owes only death. Try on this number. There were up to 50 executions a day. By a guillotine set up next to the Statue of Liberty in the Place de la Revolution, formerly Place Louis XV, more than 3,000 aristocrats were sent to the guillotine with huge crowds on hand to cheer the carnage. The victims often had to be dragged up the stairs of the scaffold. Programs called menus were distributed, listing the names of the condemned, the better to heckle them. (laughs) Street jugglers entertained the crowds by staging mock executions with puppets. With the Jacobins in control, the de-Christianization campaign kicked into high gear in 1793, inspired by Rousseau's idea of the religion civile, the religion sought to completely destroy Christianity and replace it with the religion of the state. To honor reason and fulfill the promise of the declaration of the rights of man and the citizen that no one may be questioned about his opinions, including his religious views. Catholic priests were forced to stand before revolutionary clubs and take oaths to France's new humanocentric religion, the cult of reason. That, those are their names mm-hmm. for, that, for that stuff. So, the cult <clears throat> of reason is what they called it. Yeah. And so they're going to de-Christianize France. So, you know, instantly my mind goes to, especially having read Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the um, chapter 17 in Revelation that describes the beast, right? The Antichrist that's coming, you know, riding on the prostitute. And the prostitute is you know, Babylon the Great, but it's religious Babylon. So it's the de-Christianization, you know, at the end of times and the institution of Satan's religion. And see how similar that is to what they were doing in the French Revolution. They're going to de-Christianize France. We're going to read this in detail in a minute. and Well, this is Rousseau's time. Yes. And we read in the Truman book that Rousseau was was basically teaching that you got to get rid of religion or Christianity because it's cramping our style. Got to get rid of the family. Yeah. So this is that that time frame. Yeah. And <clears throat> I like the way you said that because you you phrase it as you know it's cramping our style. Have you ever felt in your in the depths of your relationship with the Lord as if walking with him was a burden did you ever feel that no i didn't either 
what, why, you know, cramp my style? Well, what, well, what, what is it you want to do? <laughs> right. And I know, yeah, right. Yeah. I know what he wants to do. And you're like Solomon in a sense, looking at the end of that road going, Rousseau, do, do you not see what's down that road that you want to walk? Right. That's destruction. You won't like any of those indulgences, and they'll destroy you. I, I've never felt like the law of God, not not meaning Old Testament law, but like the natural law of God, was a burden. Do, don't murder? How is that a burden to me? That's right. just, of course you shouldn't murder, right? And so on. <clears throat> so let's read on, because this... I know this is sobering, but it's so instructive because we're starting to see these things in our own country. You're starting to see some pretty heavy pushback against Christianity. And I think we're about to see a lot more mm-hmm. in the coming days. Only a bare majority of clergy called non-jurors refused to take oaths to the Republic. So most of the clergy in France at the time happily turned away from their faith. Most of them. Mm -hmm. About 20,000 priests did so, and another 20,000 left the country. Many ex-priests publicly denounced their religion, swearing that they had never believed it, and vied with each other in ribaldry and blasphemy. Wow. So contests of who could be the most pagan, right? Vicar Pat P A T I N. I you know, French Patan or something. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Stood in front of the Revolutionary Club and said the earmarks of a priest were to bestialize humans in order to better enslave them, to make them believe that two plus one is one and a thousand other absurdities to enter into a compact with our former tyrants to share with them spoils taken from the people. That's how he described the role of a priest. So the priest was the one that says two plus two is not equal to four. Right. In, in their, in their in, cult of reason. <laughs> right. And so um, let me pose another question to you. Have you ever found, again, in the depths of your relationship with the Lord, anything that the Lord has revealed unreasonable? No. Me neither. Why? You know, most of the great scientists down through history were Christians. There's no conflict between real science and Christianity. I've never seen any. Right. Right. Now, fake science, right? Bad science is bad. Good science is good. But it, it's often posed that way that Christians are non-thinkers, or you know, cave, cavemen, sort of in their approach to life. None of that's true. Christians are the the most reasonable of people. So, <clears throat> let's read on. Revolutionaries smashed church art and statues. And so on, and then you get like four or five extended paragraphs on what they did to the external religious symbols in France. They just destroyed them all. Hmm. Altars were destroyed 
were renamed Altars of Reason. The cross, deemed counter-revolutionary, was forbidden from display, with women being required to remove cross necklaces. Street signs, parks, and even cemeteries were stripped of crosses. One revolutionary club proposed outlawing celibacy. Joseph Fouché had been the headmaster at a Catholic school, but during the revolution, he switched sides and became a leader of the de-Christianization campaign, denouncing religion as a superstitious and hypocritical. He proclaimed a new religion of the Republic. He traveled from town to town to snuff out any remnants of Christianity, publicly dressing down priests as impostors who persist in continuing to perform their religious comedy. In September 1793, Fouché actually did outlaw celibacy and gave priests one month to get married. <laughs> In the town of Nevers, Fouché ordered that religious imagery on cemetery gates be replaced with the phrase, Death is an eternal sleep a proposal enthusiastically adopted in Paris. Is that how you would define death? An no. eternal sleep. You know, my first thought jumps to Hebrews. Uh, it is appointed to man once to die, and then comes judgment. I wouldn't call that an eternal sleep. No. Yep. So... Um, skipping a few paragraphs about Fouché and how he wiped out Christianity in the provincial areas of France. <clears throat> uh, Christianity in the provinces had been struck down once for all. There's a quote from Fouché writing back to Paris. Just a year earlier, at the beginning of the New Republic, Lamarette's idea, had been, he was another guy I skipped over, but he, he was a so a French priest whose idea was he, he wanted to straddle the fence, right? He's, he's for the revolution, but he also kind of wants to maintain the priesthood and he's trying to get everybody to work together. You know, he's the stretch his hand across the aisle guy. Okay. Well, nothing good comes of that. <laughs> okay. He gets wiped out and none of that works. Right. And I, I think often in our country, we try to, we propose that, right? Oh, so-and-so is a great senator because he reached across the aisle. There, there is no compromise with evil, certainly not in France in that day. You right. just get absorbed by it. And that's the picture that's portrayed in Revelation as well when the Antichrist, you know, adopts, so to speak, you know, a new religion and they're going to bring that on the earth. Well, pretty soon he just wipes that out, right? That, that's all a facade. <clears throat> but I wanted to read this. This is important. In lieu of religious holidays, remember they're going to de-Christianize France, right. which were banned, the revolutionaries put on fetes, F-E-T-E-S, right, of reason, with parades, dances, and public burnings of the symbols of nobility, on a scale as never before. 
The first and most spectacular of these pagan rituals was held in November 17th or November 1793 in the Notre Dame Cathedral or as it was renamed the Temple of Reason. Really? Yep. The words... I'm surprised they didn't burn it down. (laughs) Yeah. The words to philosophy were carved into the facade of the magnificent Gothic Cathedral. Stripped of crucifixes and other religious insignia, its altar was renamed the Altar of Reason, decorated with broken crowns and a shredded Bible. As a special highlight, Madame Momoro, a nun turned prostitute, portrayed the goddess of reason. You can see how close this is to what Revelation describes, actually. Mm -hmm. At the pagan festival of reason and paraded through the cathedral for all to worship. Four months later, the goddess of reason was guillotined. (laughs) Fouché, Saint Just, Barrère, the very revolutionaries who had propelled Momoro's ascent as a goddess to celebrate an end to religion were on hand to applaud her beheading. Remember that one phrase that we mentioned last time? I forget the French historian's name, but he said in his conclusion about the French Revolution that the French Revolution devoured its own children. Right, yeah, it did. So... At the Fets of Reason being held throughout France, mannequins of priests were tied backwards on donkeys and ridden through the street. There were also obscene parodies of the clergy, with performers dressed as priests delivering mock sermons and dispensing scatological communions. Come receive your God, they taunted, wiping their behinds with paper hosts and throwing the hosts in a chamber pot. Here's your divinity. Come adore him for nothing. Here's a present of him. I mean, it's hard to read. Yeah, disgusting. So in Daniel chapter 7, it describes the Antichrist, and it, it describes that he'll make great changes in laws and times And times is a reference to, like, what we would call a calendar, right? How the year is divided up and what religious feasts and so on in Israel. Uh, The Antichrist is going to change all that. So France is changing a lot of their laws, and they're changing the calendar. So we're going to read about that. So they make a new calendar, the French revolutionaries. It began with year one. Year one. Okay, which, for simplicity, was the previous year, 1792. Based on reason and nature, the revolutionary calendar had 12 30-day months divided into three 10-day weeks. Inasmuch as this didn't account for all the days in a year, the leftovers were tacked on as complementary days. Virtue day, genius day, labor day. Reason Day, Rewards Day, and on leap years, Revolution Day. 
So we make a new calendar. That lasted for like a couple of years until Napoleon did away with that. Oh yeah. But but that's well, what ten they, day weeks. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon did away with that. So uh, let's finish up. Remember how we had talked a little bit about Marie Antoinette mm-hmm. last time. Let's read about her demise because it's interesting. Um, let's just read it. The mobs consuming hatred of Marie Antoinette would finally be satiated with her public execution during the reign of terror. The revolutionaries had already come from the Queen's, had come for the Queen's eight-year-old son, Louis the Seventeenth, in July 1793. Antoinette put up a fight, refusing to relinquish her son, but young Louis was literally torn from her arms. Six months earlier, the morning after the king had been guillotined, Antoinette had wiped away her son's tears, instructing him that a king should not cry. She then set him down, stood, and saluted him as the new king. What awaited her young son was worse than the guillotine. He was turned over to an illiterate cobbler, Simone, who was instructed to re-educate the boy into hating his parents and loving the revolution. So <clears throat> let's pause there for a second. We'll pick it back up. But re-educating the child. Yeah. Is that going on in our schools? Oh, yeah. Right. And a lot of times parents are the enemy. Right. Just like Rousseau thought. Right. Mm-hmm. Or God has established the family. Right, so let's get a, get rid of that kind of authority. So young Louis was dressed in revolutionary clothes and made to curse his mother and sing revolutionary songs. Under the influence of the extreme left-wing journalist Jacques Hibert, Simone beat and brainwashed the boy into saying his mother had committed incest with him. By the fall, Marie Antoinette was ill hemorrhaging constantly, possibly dying from tuberculosis. She's only 37, but her hair had turned nearly white. She appeared a much older woman. On August 1st, 1793, she'd been moved to a filthy prison called the Concierge, where she was prisoner 280. The former queen was put on display like an animal for inhuman wretches to stand outside her cell continually vomiting forth insults against her. All those are quotes and footnoted. Mm -hmm. Antoinette had found out her husband had been guillotined when a guard mockingly called her the widow Capet. She found out her best friend, the princess Lambale, I skipped that last chapter because it was so sick what they did to her, but had been executed when the princess's head was bounced on a pike outside her prison window. Her son had been torn away from her. Now she sat trapped in a prison cell with riffraff hurling invectives at her in the liberal style. But the mob still saw Marie Antoinette as a threat to their liberty. On October 13th, Antoinette was informed that her trial before the Revolutionary Tribunal will begin the next day. Her written request 
for time to prepare was ignored. So the trial of Marie Antoinette commenced on October 14, 1793, before a jury of 11 men chosen from the lowest classes. To the delight of the spectators, Antoinette was accused of presiding over plots, conspiracies, and midnight orgies, and of being the scourge and the bloodsucker of the French. In the words of Scottish historian Thomas Carlyle, the witnesses against her were patriot washerwomen with much to say of plots and treasons. Antoinette answered each accusation with politeness, calmly revealing the emptiness of the charges against her. As Carlyle reports, her answers are prompt, clear, often of laconic brevity, revolution which has grown contemptuous without ceasing to be dignified veils itself in calm words. You persist then in denial? She was asked, my plan is not denial. It's the truth I have said, and I persist in that. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty good. Mm -hmm. Among the charges was the accusation by Hebert that she kept a religious book containing a counter-revolutionary image of Jesus inscribed with the words, Heart of Jesus, have pity on us. That's her crime. Yeah. (laughs) Then came Hebert's monstrous allegation that Antoinette's son had accused his mother and aunt of having sex with him. An idea he bare had himself implanted in the boy through his vile underling, Simone. He bare testified. Simone said to me, I am surprised. So this is him in court, right? This is he bare making his charges in court. I'm surprised at young Capet committing so many indecencies too gross to mention. Astonished at seeing this child so initiated in wickedness. I asked him who were his instructors. He replied with all the ingenuousness and candor of his age that he had learned all these abominations from his mother and aunt. I shall not offend your ears with recounting the impurities which this child related. I shall content myself with saying that he has had an incestuous intercourse with his mother and his aunt and that young Kepe has been ill of a disorder which was brought on by these debaucheries. Antoinette ignored the vile accusation until a juror demanded that she answer it. Antoinette famously replied, I remain silent on that subject because nature holds all such crimes and abhorrence. I appeal to all mothers who are present in this auditory is such a crime possible? <clears throat> According to Carlyle, at that moment, Robespierre cursed the stupidity of Hebert for making such a despicable charge and risking a sympathetic response from the jurors. See, that's what bothered Rus- uh, Robespierre, was to know that the crowd's going to side with her if you make it too bad, right? Robespierre underestimated the inhumanity of the mob for having passionately denied the charge 
One spectator complained of Antoinette's arrogance, another of her pride, while one of the jurors sneered, a mother like you. So you've seen that in the scriptures. Jesus brings that up. No matter what Antoinette says, they're going to condemn it. If she says, I didn't do that, they'll jump all over her. If she says, I did do that, they'll jump. You ha- there is no answer, right? The mob, just the accusation forms the reality in the mob's mind. So there's no answer for that. Jesus says, um, you know, you're like children in a marketplace. You know, we played a flute and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't weep. Right. I sent John the Baptist. You guys rejected him. And he was, you know, a hard-nosed guy for the law. I sent Jesus. You didn't like him. Right. And, you, you know, it doesn't matter. Once the crowd's rejected you, it doesn't matter what you say. When Antoinette said nothing, the jury was enraged by her silence. You see that at Jesus' trial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And demanded an answer. When she answered, denying the grotesque accusation, the jury denounced her as arrogant. (laughs) It's almost as if the mob would accept no answer she gave. Well, that's exactly right. As Laban says, a crowd accepts as real the images evoked in its mind, though they most often have only a very distant relation with the observed facts. So on a lesser scale... But didn't we see that four years with Trump? Like how many people um, like despised him? Right. But know nothing about him. Nothing. They were just passing on what they'd heard. Right. They're just repeating what the yeah. media says. They don't know the guy and they think he's terrible. and They just want to be part of the crowd, right? Part of the Hollywood crowd. Part of the news media crowd that condemns him. So here's a, let's fast forward a little bit to some of her letters that she wrote during this time, during her trial. It is to you, my sister, that I write for the last time, for I have just been condemned, not to a shameful death, for such is only for criminals, but to go and rejoin your brother, innocent like him, I hope to show the same firmness in my last moments. I'm calm as one is when one's conscience reproaches one of nothing. That sound like a guilty person? No. (laughs) I have to speak to you of one thing which is very painful to my heart. I know how much pain the child must have caused you. Forgive him, my dear sister. Think of his age and how easy it is to make a child say whatever one wishes, especially when he does not understand it. It'll come to pass one day, I hope, that he will better feel the value of your kindness and your tender affection for both of my children. I die in the Catholic, apostolic, and Roman religion that of my father, that of my father's, that in which I was brought up, and which I have always professed, having no spiritual consolation to look for, not even knowing whether there is still in this place any priests of that religion. 
I sincerely employ, implore pardon of God for all the faults which I may have committed during my life. I trust that in his goodness, he will mercifully accept my last prayers, as well as those which I have had for a long time addressed to him to receive my soul into his mercy. I beg pardon of all whom I know, and especially of you, my sister, for all the vexations which, without intending it, I may have caused you. I pardon all my enemies the evils that they have done me. I bid farewell to my aunts, to all my brothers and sisters. I had friends. <coughs> the idea of being forever separated from them and from all their troubles is one of the greatest sorrows that I suffer in dying. Let them at least know that to my last moment I thought of them. Farewell, my good and tender sister. May this letter reach you. Think always of me. I embrace you with all my heart as I do my poor dear children. My God, how heartrending it is to leave them forever. Farewell. Huh. Sounds like a real monster. He sounds great. <laughs> so, the killings went on mercilessly day after day without reason. Saint Just demanded that people be guillotined not just for being traitors, but for being indifferent as well. Right? So not only do you have to be part of the world, you got to be cheering what they do, or else they'll kill you. Well, we see that a lot today. You just are indifferent about the LGBT thing. Right? That's not okay. That's You'll be attacked enough. for that. It's like the cake. Baker guy here in Colorado. Yeah. You know, he was. You, you can't be indifferent to that. You got to be vociferously behind it or else right. they'll come for you too. I think there's so many people on the left who underestimate what the left will do to them. Yeah, uh, good point. Before the end of the year, Excuse me. Before the end of the year, the mayor of Paris was guillotined. Ninety priests were drowned, and in Dunkirk, a hundred and fifty citizens guillotined. Entire families were guillotined. Girls overheard remarking that the killing was going overboard were sent to the guillotine. When one of the accused explained to the revolutionary tribunal that they had confused him with his brother, he was ordered to be executed because we've got him. We haven't got his brother. A woman proved to the court that she had been arrested in a case of mistaken identity was executed because since she's already here, we might as well execute her too. That's all in quotes. Wow. In the first few months of 1794, more than 5,000 citizens of Lyon were executed. Just one town. Yeah. And remember what that's like. It's this big public event with menus, right? Like a program. Hey, here's who's going to get killed today. And everybody would show up and bring their lunches. There'd be entertainers in the crowd. And I mean, it's, you can scarcely imagine. No. So then she goes into, you know, a number of characters during all this. I'm going to skip that. So... 
<clears throat> to speed things along on June 10th, 1794. But that, that's an important introductory phrase, to speed things along, right? We're not killing, We're not killing enough. fast enough. Yeah. The Committee on Public Safety issued its infamous 22 per real decree, which dispensed with even the pretense of a trial before execution. No longer would the accused be entitled to lawyers or be asked any questions, unless it was for the purpose of uncovering co-conspirators. Juries were instructed to decide cases on moral proof, not positive proof. Basically, an accusation was proof of guilt, and there was only one penalty, death. <clears throat> the prosecutor, Tinville, I'm going to skip some of his names because they're too hard to pronounce. We'll just call him Tinville, was delighted with these legal reforms, cheerfully reporting that heads were falling like tiles. Within the first two months after 22 per aisle, 1,500 people were guillotined. So 750 a month. That's a lot. Having already run through the clergy and nobility, by now most of the executed were peasants. Like we said, right? What's it charging them with? Does it say? It, no, there's no charge. It's just you know you're not for the you don't support the revolution enough. That and you're dead. You can say yes, I do, and they're, they're going to kill you. Doesn't matter. You were accused of not supporting the. And revolution. I suppose a neighbor could. Yep. Say. My neighbor doesn't support the revolution, right. and then they would come. And yeah, any grudge you have against someone, just say they're they're against the revolution. So here's an example: Robespierre's own execution was prompted by a rumor planted by Joseph Fouché. Fouché knew Robespierre was about to condemn him. Oh my goodness. Right? So it's it's just a matter of who can make the charge first. Right? So was about to condemn him as an enemy to the revolution. So he told all the other members of the convention that they were on Robespierre's list. When Robespierre began to give his speech denouncing traitors and calling for the arrest of all conspirators, the entire convention rose up to demand Robespierre's execution before he could mention any names. Robespierre had counted on the mob to save him. His allies at the Jacobin Club were so devoted to him, they vowed to drink hemlock should he be condemned to die. But when the time for action came and Robespierre needed the mob to rally and prevent his arrest, it rained. The rabble ran indoors and drank spirits instead of hemlock. Inspired Talleyrand's remark, rain is counter-revolutionary. <laughs> Robespierre, St. Just, and the rest of the leaders, the reign of terror, were cornered and captured at City Hall. By virtue of the speedy procedures of the 22 parial, they were sent to the guillotine the next day. Right. So you would expect Robespierre wants a trial? No. 
you don't get one. Right. You, you, you enacted the law. I was going to say, you just... Uh, <laughs> that you don't get the trial. July Poetic justice. That's there what you got. <laughs> Irony to the max. July 28, 1794. At Robespierre's execution, the mob was cursing him as if he were an Austrian queen. That was the end of the reign of terror. The Jacobin Club and the French Republic. They stopped killing people after he was killed? Pretty much. Wow. So. Quite a contrast with the American Revolution. Quite a contrast. And that's a lot of her point. Um, It's a good book. The, The book is called Demonic. How the liberal mob is endangering America. It's maybe 10, 15 years old. Maybe a little more. Good book. So there's so many parallels to... So that was 2011. So 11 years ago that book, this book was written. Um, there's so many parallels to the scriptures and to what we're seeing happen in America in these days. And I think this is where we're headed. We're kind of headed towards mock trials and mob rule. And, and I think... Well, the, the January 6th trials or mock trials... And, uh, I don't know, Trump's impeachment was a mock trial. Yeah, and the raid on his house, yeah. right? But, but think of, as a for instance, when you were brought before the committee in the French Revolution, that's the Committee of Public Safety. And yeah, I really, I really like that, the way they named <laughs> Yeah, and that's Robespierre's group. They make up the jury. Who sat on the board hearing the uh, January 6th like event all all democrats they would not let a republican on the board now, come on doesn't that sound like the french revolution doesn't that sound like that deck is stacked why why would you not allow a republican in those hearings because they're not after the truth. They're, they're after enforcing their will. The French Revolution wasn't after the truth. It was just after, you know, total support. Right. And anti, it was, although they used the word reason, they were the opposite of reason. Right. And so they want to speed things up. And I think that's what you're going to see in our country. That's, for instance, what's behind all the uh, emergency use act, right, of all the vaccines. You cannot produce a vaccine in 10 months. You can't legally do that. There's too many trials you have to go through. So we need to speed that up, right? So they write a law to get around all the other laws. Same thing that happened in the French Revolution. So it's this story's been played out before. Yeah. So... Well, very good and very bad at very the same time. How about if we say very sobering? Very sobering. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, talk to you next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice alive, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. 
do not be conformed to this present world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may test and approve what is the will of God, what is good and well-pleasing and perfect. Mm -hmm.